0: Our reading for today is from Psalm chapter 19. Listen now to the word of the Lord. The heavens declare the glory of God, and the sky above proclaims his handiwork. Day to day pours out speech, and night to night reveals knowledge. There is no speech, nor are there words, whose voice is not heard. Their voice goes out through all the earth, and their words to the end of the world. In them he has set a tent for the sun, which comes out like a bridegroom leaving his chamber. And like a strong man runs his course with joy. Its rising is from the end of the heavens and its circuit to the end of them. And there is nothing hidden from its heat. The law of the Lord is perfect, revealing the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The rules of the Lord are true. And righteous altogether. More is to be desired are there than gold, are they than gold, even much fine gold. Sweeter also than honey and drippings of the honeycomb. Moreover, by them is your servant warned. In keeping them, there is great reward. Who can discern his errors? Declare me innocent from hidden faults. Keep back your servants also from presumptuous presumptuous sins. Let them not have dominion over me. Then I shall be blameless and innocent of great transgression. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. The word of the Lord.
1: Good morning. Happy New Year. Um, I know some of you are... uh, freaked out a little bit because I didn't wear a suit for the New Year's Eve service, so I'm back to wearing a suit, so just to let you know, I'm, I'm okay. Um, I want to make sure you're comfortable. Um, also, just a quick announcement before uh, the sermon. Um, I want to just remind you and thank the people who came uh, this morning as part of the January crew to help uh, set up the... Uh, sanctuary and and the church today so I just want to remind you if you're part of the January crew uh, if you please be here at 10 so we we want to start right at 10 and then we'll be done by you know 10 10 so uh, thank you for coming and if you uh, didn't make it today uh, if you could come for the rest of this month uh, that would be great Uh, let's pray together God we uh, thank you for uh, the beginning of this year we thank you for the word um, that you have for us and now as we hear your word Uh, Help us to open our minds, our hearts, our ears, and in the hearing, help us to obey. We ask all this in Christ's name. Amen. They say that there are two kinds of people. Those who divide up people into categories, and those who don't. But really, everyone categorizes people. Categories help us to simplify our world, and though sometimes categories can be misused to lazily support our biases and prejudices, they can be very helpful in organizing our world. Recognizing how different people have different learning styles, for example, uh, visual, auditory, reading, writing, kinesthetics, VARC for short, is a useful tool for teachers as they tailor their teaching styles to students of, learning, uh, of different learning Uh, abilities. Uh, Similarly, I found quite helpful over the years thinking about spiritual formation, factoring in these kinds of categories of different learning styles as well as personality and temperament differences. Uh, Introverts and extroverts approach God differently as do optimists and pessimists. Uh, These days, mapping discipleship Onto the nine different personality types of the anagram, it is quite popular in many churches. Other categorizations use the five uh, big personality sorter ocean, uh, Gretchen Rubin's The Four Tendencies, the 16 categories of the Myers-Briggs uh, indicate, Type Indicator, and the simplified four temperaments of Kiersey, uh, and still many other ways of kind of dividing up and categorizing people uh, to simplify the world. And as I said, I think many of these can be useful tools as we think about discipleship uh, to kind of personalize and tailor fit our discipleship in the ways that we might approach God differently from those with uh, different temperaments. And so these are different kinds of rubrics that can help us to understand ourselves, our approach to God, and hopefully they can lead us to a, uh, a deeper understanding of others, to be more generous with others uh, who might have a different understanding, and approach to God. And so today, uh, I want to consider together with you another such rubric that I found uh, useful, which I have mentioned uh, before, uh, called Sacred Pathways uh, by Gary Thomas. Um, He identifies in his book nine pathways, or nine different approaches to loving God. And so for the next nine weeks, uh, I want to consider these pathways uh, more deeply, one at a time. Um, it's the beginning of a new year and I thought it would be good for us to explore new approaches uh, in our worship and love of God. My hope is that these explorations uh, will help those of you who might be in a bit of a spiritual rut. I think different seasons of life require different approaches toward life. Uh, I remember when I was younger, you know, I, um, I could run marathons, uh, I could run all day playing soccer, uh, I could ski down the, the black diamond slopes, you know, um, these days on the rare occasion I go skiing, I'm on the, I'm on the easiest hills, you know, um, I'm, I'm terrified of, you know, blowing out a knee when I fall, um, when I go to the gym, I, you know, I, I no longer play power forward, banging bodies under the net, not that I ever really did that, but I now just go, you know, very gingerly to to the gym and um, I get on the elliptical machine and, you know, very uh, gently do some light cardio work. Um, I hate to admit it, but my wife and I have now become those people who walk in the mall for exercise. Uh, It's a a different season of life. It's a different season of life. My spiritual devotions have also changed over their years. You know, it used to be um, when I was younger, it's so easy to memorize uh, scripture I used to memorize entire chapters uh, you know, without any real difficulty. Now I'm trying to just uh, retain some of uh, what I had memorized years ago and not to forget um, what I read last week, sometimes you know, what I read last night. Um, and so uh, it's a different season. Some of you may recall when you were younger, uh, you had the luxury of regular and long, quiet times, devotions, uh, maybe in college, you remember those days where you, you, know, you had a very uh, regulated time of reading the Bible and prayer and so on. Now with work and younger children, uh, you find it just, it's just more difficult to find that time and that energy. And then to make matters worse, you feel guilty about it. And again, I want to just encourage you, you know, different seasons may require of us uh, different approaches. Um, I think routines are good. But sometimes even good routines, even good spiritual routines, can get stale. Uh, You know, it's like going to the gym and doing the same set of exercises every day. That's a good discipline, but a little cross-training is also helpful. Eating the same foods every day at home is good. It's nutritious, but it's also good to go out once in a while to an unfamiliar restaurant and try something new. You may find at the end that you like the old familiar paths, that's fine. But I hope that the time we spend together in the next two months uh, exploring some of these different paths will be enriching and enlarging uh, of your love and worship of God. So that, that's my hope. Because uh, we all have different pathways, particular pathways that we prefer. That is kind of our, our dominant way of, of uh, seeking God. Um, But there are a variety of ways, and again, I just want to encourage you to explore some of these. The Bible, uh, we see a variety of such paths. The prophets, for example, tended to be very confrontational in their faith, uh, speaking up for justice. Abraham liked to build altars. Joseph was shaped by dreams. Ezekiel and John had these awe-inspiring visions. David danced before the Lord. Mary sat at Jesus' feet. Mordecai took care of an orphan. Uh, seven deacons served food while others evangelized and preached. So, l- loving God and the worship of God, the way we work out our discipleship, uh, can have many different facets, many different aspects. And, and again, I just want to encourage us to kind of uh, explore some of these other possibilities that maybe we have not really spent much time time with. Um, we are called to love God with all of our being. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul and with all your strength, and with all your mind. Uh, As Presbyterians, we sort of tend to focus on that last bit, to love God with all of our minds. And uh, the fact that you're here suggests that that's where your natural or comfortable uh, pathway is. But I don't want us to kind of neglect some of these other ways that we might love the God with the rest of our being. Um, I've talked before about Gary Chapman's book, The Five Love Languages, again, another kind of rubric, which talks about different ways of expressing love, that we all want to give love and to receive love, but that we might speak different languages, and that some languages of love, uh, whether it's the giving of gifts, the, uh, words of affirmation, spending quality time together, or acts of service or physical touch, that these different ways of expressing love might be more meaningful and speak more powerfully to us. And so in the same way, in a similar way, uh, if only briefly for a while, to to consider some of these other pathways as explorations of loving God. Now, my idea is not to put you on an entirely different pathway. I don't think that's possible. But I want to suggest that these might be some some side paths. You might just want to, you know, take a little detour for a week or so and see, perhaps, you may find something new that will greatly increase your love of God and your delight in God. And so that's, again, uh, my hope and prayer for us uh, for these uh, two months. All right, so today... Uh, I want to start with the first of these uh, sacred pathways, and that is the pathway of the naturalist. As the name suggests, those on this pathway prefer to experience and worship God in nature, outdoors. Rather than being inside a building, uh, they, these folks prefer to pray, uh, maybe just walking on the beach or uh, hiking in the mountains. They prefer to be in awe of God's creation at sunrise. To see the beauty of God uh, in creation rather than hearing a sermon about creation, which is what I'm doing now. Um, St. Francis of Assisi comes to mind. He wrote about Brother Sun and Sister Moon and about all creatures of our God and King. He famously lived and preached outdoors, sometimes asking the birds to be quiet in their singing and praise of God so that he might have a turn to speak uh, of God's praises. And, you know, ideally we should probably have this service outdoors today, um, maybe even without a message and we just kind of just look at the skies and the trees and, well, there's not a whole lot out here, but, um, but you get the idea. Because I know, you know, again, as, as Presbyterians, um, we prefer indoors, right? We prefer the indoor to the outdoors. We like temperature controlled space with as little distraction as possible. We don't want the good distractions of a gentle spring breeze or the warmth of the summer sun on our faces. We also don't want mosquitoes and bugs and having to put on sunblock. We prefer clean, white, plain walls in a simple sanctuary with comfortable seats so that we can listen to God's word with as much comfort and clarity as possible. That's fine. That's fine. But in doing that, sometimes, we can forget about God, the maker of heaven and earth. That God is somehow confined to this space, and we forget the majesty, the expansiveness of God who created the cosmos. I think as Presbyterians, I think we especially need this reminder of today's psalm, proclaiming that the heavens declare the glory of God. The heavens declare the glory of God. Notice the psalm starts off in the first six verses declaring that all of creation declares the glory of God. This, This is the natural path of the naturalist. All of creation speaks of God's glory without, of course, actually speaking words as we understand them. But their speaking is in their power, in their vastness, in their beauty. It all speaks of God's glory, of God's power. And it is undeniable. The psalm echoes Uh, the story of creation. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth and all of creation speaks of God as creator. Creation is God's speech to us when God himself seems to be silent. The very existence of the universe, our very existence, and our ability to appreciate the wonders that God has made speaks of God and of God's glory. Every day and continuously, without fail, creation praises God. Psalm 148, they are commanded to praise God. Praise Him, sun and moon. Praise Him, all you shining stars. Praise Him, you highest heavens and you waters above the heavens. In Romans 1, the Apostle Paul will argue that for what can be known about God is plain to them because God has shown it to them. For His invisible attributes, namely His eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made, so they are without excuse. Paul argues that you know, when you see creation, you can see God's attributes of his eternal power, his divine nature in the things that God has made. The things that God has made are, are the marks of its creator. So all of creation testifies of God. Uh, we call this uh, in theology general revelation, because it's available to everyone. Everyone can perceive it. And the argument is that there is enough in creation. There is enough in nature for us to acknowledge the presence or the reality of a creator. For me, you know, the, the witness of creation is not you know, in some sort of formal explanation or proof of God or anything like that. But rather, creation cultivates in us a, an awe a wonder, a broadening of our imagination. Creation invites us to perceive of God, to imagine God on a far grander scale than anything human and humanly possible. Sometimes when we just sort of talk about God and, and you know, kind of think about God in, in scriptures, you know, we can reduce God to just kind of an abstract idea that, that we can contain and understand and, and uh, we can shape. But when we look to the heavens, when we look to the cosmos, you see that God is just, it's just so much bigger, that God is so much grander than anything we can possibly contain. When you look at a scenic vista or a sunrise over an ocean or the countless stars on a dark night on the top of a mountain or, you know, just recently, if, you, if you've seen some of the pictures that the, um, some of the rovers, you know, the, the one on the far side of the moon, if you saw that, or pictures from, uh, what is it, the New Horizon uh, probe uh, of the uh, Ultima Thule. Uh, you know, the, the, have you seen that? The, it looks like a snowman, like a giant snowman in space, uh, like four billion miles away. It's like the farthest reaches of our solar system, One of the, perhaps the oldest thing in our solar system. Uh, we have pictures of that now. I mean, when you see stuff like that, I mean, it's, it's amazing. Like, you marvel at God's creation, at, at the wonders um, that God has done. Um, this sense of awe, this sense of vastness, the beauty of God, the, uh, the smallest creations of, of God, um, I think it's a sign of our humanity and a sign of God's power um, to experience awe. You know, it, it draws us, it points us to something, something bigger and beyond ourselves. Um, and I think this is what the naturalists, those who are on this pathway, uh, experience uh, in a deeper way than those who aren't. Uh, as they look at the world. And as I said, I I think that's good. Uh, And I think it's needful for us because of our indoor tendencies. We have such an indoor tendency, we have to be much more intentional uh, about appreciating nature and God's creation than before. Uh, Richard Liu, for example, in his book, Last Child in the Woods, Saving Our Children from Nature Deficit Disorder. Isn't that good? He convincingly argues that the loss of play outdoors among today's children is harming them, body and soul. It's true, right? Um, I think all of us uh, parents, I think we, would all, we can all attest uh, that when we were younger, we played outside a lot more than we allow our children to play outdoors today, right? Why is that? I mean, statistically, it's safer today than it was when we were kids, and yet we, we keep our kids indoors. You know, uh, As I look back... Uh, In retrospect, I I wish I had done done that. I wish I had released my kids to the the woods uh, a a little more. Um, Our increasing disconnect uh, from God and from God's creation is just another sign of our fallenness and why scripture says all of creation groans. It's groaning. I think we need to learn from those on this naturalist pathway and along with all of nature, sing God's praises. Um, You know, Last year, those of you who went, remember when we were at the church retreat last year? Um, you know, I don't remember most of the messages, honestly, um, but there was one highlight that I'm, you know, it still stays with me, and it's probably with you as well. Do you remember? What was the highlight of the retreat for some of you? I heard it. Yeah, right. We delayed our worship service because we were we were by the by the, the beach and there was a sunset and like everybody just wanted to see it. And so we, we delayed worship service so everyone could just stand there and just enjoy the sunset. Because, mo- you know, almost every year it rains so we never get to see the sunset. But last year we got to see it and we were just all just like, wow, this is awesome. And we just all, right? We, we didn't really explain it or any, we just kind of enjoyed seeing the sunset. And we just, we just marveled at, at creation, right? We need more of that. We need more of that. Um, You know, I know I need more of that. You know, I I don't normally choose the uh, closing hymn for our services, but today I asked uh, for our closing hymn that we sing, This is My Father's World. Uh, I I chose this hymn because, you know, obviously it speaks of God's creation, but also because I discovered this week that the man who composed it, the minister who composed it, uh, Maltby Babcock, was the pastor of the First Presbyterian Church in Lockport, New York, which happens to be just a few miles uh, east of Niagara Falls and a few miles uh, south of Lake Ontario and just a few miles from where I grew up. I mean, just just down the street. Um, He apparently enjoyed walking and running and would often run several miles to a hill nearby where he could see Lake Ontario uh, in the distance. And the story is that he used to go running or walking and as he left, he would tell, you know, someone at church or his wife, I'm going out now to see my father's world. And, and so, so then he wrote this poem about it, which later became a hymn. Um, you know, I'm not a naturalist uh, by nature, uh, but I'm going up to Buffalo this week, and I'm going to try to go visit that church. And uh, I want to walk where he walked. I'm, I don't know if they have signs or anything. Uh, I'm going to go knock on the church and say, hey, you know, and uh, I, want, I want to sing this hymn as, as I'm walking the trail that maybe, maybe he walked. My wife's just saying no. Um, I'll go alone. Uh, I want to see my father's world and, and praise him. This is my father's world. And I want to encourage all of you this week to take a walk outdoors. To let your kids play outdoors a little more. To look up at the stars if possible. Catch a sunset or sunrise. Look at the stars. Uh, praise God for the world that he's made. Uh, I know it's, you know, it's break something from your normal routines and just praise God for creation. Um, All of creation declares the glory of God. Now that's good. That's good. But the psalmist tells us today that that is not enough. That is not enough. Nature can show us God's beauty and God's power and God's judgment. But nature cannot reveal to us God Our Redeemer. We need more than the silent speech of the heavens. We need the speech of God. This is what theologians call special revelation as opposed to general revelation. That is the specific word of God, the Bible, the scriptures, the way God has spoken directly to his people. As John Calvin supposedly said, from nature we only know the hands and feet of God, but from scripture we know his heart. And I think he's right. In the, in the cosmos, we can see the beauty and the power of God, but in scriptures, but in the scriptures, as we see the word of God in Jesus Christ, we can see the heart of God the Father and of God's redeeming work. And we need that. The cosmos are not enough. And so the psalmist shifts here, you know, takes this kind of a radical shift from verse six to verse seven. He goes from the great beauty of the heavens to the great value of God's word. In verse one, God is mentioned just once as El. It's the generic generic word for God. God the creator, God the maker, El. But in verses 7 through 10, you notice that God is consistently and repeatedly called Lord, or Yahweh, the personal name of God, the Holy One of Israel, the one who is known in scriptures, the one who interacts with his people, not just the one who is out there transcendent, the creator God, but the one who is with us, the imminent God, the redeeming word of God. That's the word for us. That's the word we also need. C.S. Lewis called our psalm today, Psalm 19, the greatest poem in the Psalter and one of the greatest lyrics in the world. Um, When I think about Psalm 23 and a few others, uh, I have to disagree with Lewis here. One of the few occasions I got to do that. Um, but this psalm has a very special place in the Psalms because even though it starts with this, this uh, praise of the heavens, of, of this general revelations, it shifts right into this special revelation. In fact, Psalm 19 is just one of three psalms dedicated to God's word. Uh, they're easy to remember, Psalm 1, Psalm 19, and Psalm 119, so it's very easy to remember. The three psalms, that, that are they're not really categorized as, as a typical psalm because they talk about God's word and the, and the beauty and value of God's word. And look at what God's word does for us. God's perfect law revives the soul, makes us alive again. God's stable rule guides the simple. It makes those who are simple wise. God's just demands delights the heart's. God's clear commands sharpens vision. God's faultless decrees stands forever, is everlasting. God's righteous judgments keep their truth. It has incredible benefits for us. And it is to be treasured like the most precious gold and the sweetest delicacy. God's word instructs, it directs, it illuminates, it expresses God's will, a way of being and living in the presence of God and in community. By God's word, we are warned, or it can actually be translated as we are illuminated. Just as the sun illuminates the whole earth and nothing can hide from its heat, so God's word illuminates our whole lives. It can touch every aspect of our living and being. God's word, it's, so it's not this burdensome you know, series of rules and regulations that we have to follow, but it's actually a source of joy and life. And so in this way, the psalm reveals the pattern of God's work. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Creation declared the glory of God. And then we know in creation that after creation, God spoke to his creation. God gave his word to humanity, not just in creation, but in speaking to Adam and Eve. Be fruitful and multiply every tree in the garden I've given you for food, but one. But then what happens? The snake challenged them. Did God really say? And doubt entered. People doubted God's word. Adam and Eve disobeyed and ate the forbidden fruit, thinking that that was the delicacy. And here, a different answer is given by the psalmist to the same choice that we face. The heavens declared the glory of God, and then God speaks, and instead of doubt, we have a choice to say yes. Yes. God's word is perfect. It is God's word that is sweeter than honey. It is God's word that is to be valued more than the finest gold. And we can make that decision. We can make that choice every day to believe God's word. And that brings us to the last four verses. It is not enough that the heavens declare God's glory. It's not even enough that God's word teaches us the truth. General revelation And special revelation must then be followed by personal response. We must personally respond to God's creation and to God's word. The psalmist recognizes the help that he needs to keep away from intentional and unintentional errors and sins. That's his desire. His response when when he sees the heavens, when he sees the word of God given to him, is he wants to be righteous before God. He wants to live in a way that is pleasing to God, to stay away from sin, both intentional and those that are hidden and unknown to him. He recognizes that that he needs help to do this. That's his desire. That's his prayer. That's his response. A personal, redeeming relationship is mediated to us through creation and through God's word and we have the responsibility then to respond to that revelation. And we have the opportunity to respond. To be able to say today, let the words of my mouth and the stirring of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. And notice it's my rock, my redeemer. The psalmist has made, you know, God, this is my God. It's not just general, it's not even just special revelation, but it's revelation for me. It matters to me. This is my God. This is my redeemer. And so that's what leads me to prayer and to repentance. And the last word here is redeemer. Redeemer. That's the last thought for the psalmist. And this word, it comes from, it's a family word. You know, in ancient times, if people got into severe debt, sometimes they would be, they'd sell themselves or be sold off into slavery to help pay for those debts. And it was the responsibility of the family to pay off those debts and to buy them back from slavery. And that person was known as the redeemer. And so the the closest relative had that responsibility. We see a beautiful illustration of this story uh, in, the book, in the book of Ruth where Boaz uh, you know, buys back uh, Ruth and marries her. And so th- this is the word, this redeemer. I mean, I, you know, th- think about that, right? The God who, who created all the cosmos, all that is seen and unseen, right? I mean, That God, who also then gives us the word, right? God not only illuminates the skies with the sun and the stars, but then God illuminates uh, our living through, through his word. God who does all of that is also the one who is going to redeem us. He's our next of kin, as someone phrased it. It's so that you and I can personally experience as our redeemer, this God who made the heavens and the earth and who has given us his word. And it's so we can have this confidence of praying and knowing that you are forgiven, that sin will not have dominion over you. This God, my God, this God is my rock and my redeemer. And so this week, I just, again, would encourage you, challenge you, uh, to, to seek or to walk the path of the naturalist, to recognize that the word of God links us with all of creation that declares God's glory. Elizabeth Barrett Browning famously wrote, "Earth's crammed with heaven, and every common bush afire with God." But only he who sees takes off his shoes; the rest sit around, sit around it, and pick blueberries. You know, I know that we are a a practical people for the most part. We would prefer to pick blackberries, right? Blackberries are good for you, and so um, that's what we want to do. And we should thank God for the blackberries. We should eat the blackberries too. But we need to see the world also as a naturalist see. To recognize that the earth is crammed, crammed with signs of God's glory. That every common bush is on fire with the glory of God. And to take off our shoes and to see and worship. The word of the Lord. Let's pray together. God, we thank you for your word today. Uh, We are mindful today of your creation. And God, we want to explore uh, some of these different pathways uh, these next few months. Help us, God, to deepen and to broaden our love of you, our appreciation of who you are, and of working out our discipleship in different ways. And through this time, God, may we come to experience you in new and different, powerful, unforgettable ways so that we may join with all of creation and declare your glory. We ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen.